the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus said, If you being evil, talking about the human race, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? So, ask. Don't be afraid. Ask. You know, Lord, I just want more of you and all of you. And ask Him to do His exceedingly wonderful, powerful work in your life. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Corinthians. The work and movement of the Spirit can be so clear in your life, but often mysterious at other times. When dealing with the gifts of the Spirit, as in speaking in tongues, it's important to note the context and framework in which these are laid out in the Bible. The Apostle Paul gives specific guidelines, but today Pastor Gary challenges you to be open to what God wants to do by the Spirit in your life. This may involve the use of tongues, but the Spirit's work is far more encompassing than this. Ask for God's powerful work to be done in you today. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. There is big church. That's what the corporate church setting is when people come into the sanctuary. And then there's small church when people are in small home groups. That's still the church. It's just in a smaller group setting. And in a smaller group setting, that is really what Paul has in mind here through chapter 14. Because, you know, listen, the things of the Spirit are to be expressed in the context of where everyone is a believer and everyone understands. And those two elements, everybody's a believer and everybody understands, are never present in the big church corporate setting. Never. How can I say that with assurance? Because I know for a fact that every time we open the doors of our church, and this is a good thing, right? People who come in aren't all believers. There are a lot of people, and some of you are here tonight. You don't profess to be a Christian. You don't profess to know Christ as your Savior. And we're glad you're here. Because our prayer is that through hearing about the truth, you will eventually give your heart to Christ sooner or later, and you will become a Christian. But because I'm being sensitive, as Paul says we are to be in the big corporate setting, 
to the fact that in, in any one big corporate setting, not everybody's a believer, and not everybody understands what we're talking about, this is not the place then for these things to be expressed. This, the place for them to be expressed is where you can know that everybody's a believer and everybody understands, which is a small group home setting of believers who would gather together like in a koinonia group or, or your own private Bible study with a few people. And if you want to take time for there to be a time of some worship or just praying in tongues with interpretation, there's a place and a time for that. But the big corporate church setting is not that place because not every single person in this room professes to be a Christian. And that's okay. There's a growing and there's a learning and there's a receiving Christ. But until that happens, the gifts have a particular place to be exercised. And this is what he's going to talk about now moving on to the public use of the gifts. So I'm going to read verse, uh, starting at verse 18 down through verse, not quite to the end, because I've got to pause at verse 33, because then he gets into this section in verse 34 that I've got to explain. So I'm going to read 18 to 33. Here we go. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, big church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it is written, and he's going to quote here from the book of Isaiah. Listen to what he says. Through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. And let me just pause right there for just a, a quick explanation, then I'll keep reading. He quotes here from the book of Isaiah, and this, this passage here that Paul writes has been taken out of context, i got to say, and so let me try to put context to it. When he quotes from Isaiah, he is quoting about the time in Israel's history when God sent the Assyrians as the rod of his discipline to attack Israel. Because the Israelites were engaged in idolatry and they had rebelled against the Lord. And so God, through the prophet Isaiah, through the prophet Jeremiah, had been warning the people time and time again. And what ends up happening is God then sends the Assyrians to take captive the Israelites. God will later do the same thing to the southern part of Israel by sending the Babylonians. But the people of Assyria come and they speak an Assyrian language. So when the people of Israel hear strange tongues, language they do not understand, it was originally intended as a sign of judgment. That's the context. So when Paul says here in verse 22, tongues then are a sign, what he means is in the context, a sign of judgment from a foreign people. Typically, when you hear a foreign language coming into the nation, the Israelites were thinking judgment. So Paul says, tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So he's distinguishing again between tongues and prophecy. Prophecy is the foretelling of God's word to help people understand truth. Tongues, however, have the connotation, historically speaking, of being something that is strange. And for that reason, recognize that it's also perceived as strange in big church corporate setting. Read on, verse 23. So if the whole church comes together, big church, everyone comes together, and everyone speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand, that's one group, 
or some unbelievers come in, that's group number two, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Okay, so that's, so that's the point that he's making. Like, you know, people are going to think you're out of your mind if you come to church and you're going to hear all these other languages. The Lord is calling. Someone answer. <laughs> he says in verse 24, but if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, foretelling of the word of God, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Verse 26, what then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at most three should speak one at a time. And someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets, for God is not a God of disorder but of peace. That is a very important verse. He's saying all of this because he's saying, listen, I've got some guidelines for you. The gifts of the Spirit are wonderful, but they have to use, be used properly in the right place, context. They have to be experienced and expressed in the right place, in the right context. There shouldn't be just this chaotic, free-for-all, everybody speaking in tongues, go ahead and prophesy, go ahead and interpret. This is just craziness. You know, no wonder some people who are not saved come into some churches and think these people are out of their mind. Because Paul says it right here. Some people are going to come into a church setting where they don't understand the proper place and use and function of the gifts, and they're going to think that these people are just crazy. Now, I understand there's always an exception to different principles. Some of you, please, you know, don't come up to me after church and say, well, it just so happens I went to a church, they were speaking wildly in tongues, and I got saved because of that. Okay. But that's not necessarily the principle that we should follow. That might be an exception. You know, just like in the Bible, it talks about how, you know, do not be unequally yoked. Don't be in a dating relationship with someone who's not saved and you're saved, okay? But yet I can find examples. My in-laws are examples of where a Christian married a non-Christian, a non-Christian got saved. All right, it worked out, but it's not a principle. The principles that he's teaching here are, are there's a place and a time and a right setting and, and right ways that these gifts should be expressed. So let me run through some quick bullet points about just summarizing what we just read here in terms of the public use of tongues. One of the things he says here is, it is not preferred. It is not preferred to its private benefit. Which again, the private benefit is personal devotions and prayer. That's what he says in verses 18 and 19. When he says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church. I would rather speak five intelligible words and 10,000 words in a tongue. He's talking about in his own private devotional life. He says, I'm, I, I pray and praise in tongues all the time, but in the church. In the church. There's a right place and a right setting. And it is not to be this free-for-all. It is not preferred to its private benefit. The other thing he mentions here is, is not, it is not preferred around unbelievers or those who do not understand. So we read in verses 22 to 25. And he also adds that if someone is going to speak in tongues, and we're going to see in a moment, it has to be with interpretation, it must have an edifying purpose. All right, it, it, should, it should not just be for selfish purpose. It should be for some purpose that edifies others. 
And that can only happen with interpretation because tongues itself is the only self-edifying gift. The other thing he adds here is that it must be limited to two or no more than three. It's verse 27. Again, I, I am sometimes shocked at how, you know, the simplicity of the instructions here get violated. I've been into church services where, as a part of the worship time, the worship leader stops and then says, okay, now let's just all worship in tongues. I'm like, I'm sorry. I mean, the Bible says two or at most three. And again, it downplays the corporate setting. So he says here, two, no more than three. The emphasis, again, is the small group where everybody's a believer and everybody understands. And, he adds, it must be accompanied with the gift of interpretation so that everybody else can join in on your thanksgiving. Otherwise, it's, it's fruitless. And then he adds in verse 28 that it must cease if no one is able to interpret because that is a separate gift. And if there's not someone with that gift in that small group, then the one who is speaking in tongues should just be quiet. It's all outlined for us right here. Now, I, prob- I may have gone through the bullet points too quickly for you, so good thing is this gets archived by tomorrow. You can go back and pause if you want to take notes. But um, I don't want to just you know, keep elaborating on this uh, too much because it's pretty self-explanatory what he says here if we would just simply take note and follow carefully his instructions. Now, let me get into verse 33 to 35 because this, this is going to raise a few eyebrows here, so I need to, I need to explain I need, to, I need to explain, Lucy. He says in the rest of verse 33, As in all the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. <laughs> they are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. For it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Now see, remember when I started the Bible study and I said... All right, see, here's one of the things that we do here at Cornerstone. We go cover to cover. We go straight through the Bible. We go in-depth. These are the kind of verses where people who, you know, some pastors who don't teach straight through the Bible, this one never gets discussed right here. All right? But we go straight through the Bible, and so we come to this passage, and what in the world is he talking about here? It sounds like he's not respectful of women and that, you know, just be quiet and don't say anything. All right, first of all, back in chapter 11, he actually gave instructions of propriety for women who would pray and prophesy in the church. So he's not against that. He's not against women praying or prophesying in the church. He's not against women using their gifts and serving and be a part of the body of Christ. Here's what we need to understand. This is an important contextual element in this passage here. In the synagogues of Israel, and even in most Jewish synagogues today, not Reformed Jews, there are three branches of Judaism today, conservative, orthodox, and Reformed. The Reformed Jews are a lot more liberal about things. But the conservative Jews and the Orthodox Jews still today in their synagogues have women and men sitting separately. And there is actually a partition or a barrier that separates in the synagogue the men from the women so they can't even see each other. It's called a mechitza. A mechitza is a wall or a barrier that divides the men from the women. Now, in some, in some synagogues, it is an actual wall. Sometimes it's just a plant, some plants that adorn the, the synagogue and separate the men from the women. So, I mean, you could see them if you peer through the plants. Okay, but a mechitza is what is in synagogues today to separate the women from the men. They don't sit together. And so what Paul is addressing here is this has to do in the context of keeping order. 
Don't do things that are disorderly. And so there's a reason why he's talking about this, because what he's saying is, here's what would typically happen. By the way, before I even say the context of what he means here, the benefit, there is benefit for the men sitting separately from the women. And here's the reason why that is still practiced in many synagogues today. Because there is an idea of sacredness about the moment when our attention should be purely on God. And sometimes, if you are with your spouse, or if you are obviously attracted to the opposite sex and you might be distracted in church because there's some good-looking lady or good-looking guy near you, it might be a little more difficult to focus on God. That's one reason why they separate the men from the women. It's like, this is a time not to be distracted by the beauty of the opposite sex, but to be focused on the Lord. So all the men are going to sit together, all the women are going to sit together. Let me give you another practical reason why they do this. Those of you who are single, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but is it sometimes uncomfortable when you come in by yourself and you see other married couples sitting together? In a Jewish synagogue, you don't have that awkwardness. That's alleviated. Because no matter if you're married or you're single, the men sit together, the women sit together. So there is an element to this that you know, actually makes some sense in terms of focus and the lack of awkwardness if you are single and you don't want to come in and there's a bunch of married people, okay? It alleviates those issues. But what would happen sometimes in the church here is that the ladies would be yelling over the machitza, asking questions. Well, what, what does the rabbi mean by that? Moisha, I have a question for you. And Paul's like, shh. Okay, if you have the question to ask your husband, ask him when you get home. Don't be asking and yelling over the barrier because you're going to bring disorder to the church. Okay, that's all he means here. It's no disrespect to ladies. It's no second-class citizens, okay? There is neither slave nor free, uh, Jew nor Greek, uh, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ. He's just talking about the orderliness of don't be... In fact, the Greek word here, when he, when he talks about how... Um, if, he says they are not allowed to speak. The Greek word in the New Testament here is laleo, and laleo is a word that translates, and I, I wrote this right from Vine's dictionary, an extended or random harangue. <laughs> so it's not just conversation. It's this, harang- it's this extended, like, you know, just this constant questioning, and I don't understand this. Can you explain to me? Can you hear me over there? You know, so that's the kind of thing he's saying. Don't do that. Just for the sake of peace and orderliness, ask your husband when you get home and don't, don't interrupt the church service. That's what this means here. Now, verse 36. He says, did the word of God originate with you? Like, do you have some special corner on the market, all right? Or are you the only people it has reached? No. If anybody thinks he is a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. Now that sounds a little funny. Um, King James actually, I think, translates the original language better. King James says, says, but if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. All right? He says, if you're going to take issue with this, 
you know, just be ignorant then. Because he, he's saying, you know, I'm expressing to you the Lord's command. I'm giving to you by the Spirit of God what is true on the matters of the proper function of the gifts of the Spirit. And he says in verse 39, Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So the last bullet point on this is that it is not to be forbidden when exercised among believers in an orderly way with limitation and interpretation. That's a way to just summarize it. Again, in a small group setting, this isn't to be forbidden. As long as everybody's a believer, everybody understands two, and at most three, and always with interpretation. So, I mean, as long as we're following the guidelines, there's liberty with this. Okay? But... You know, we should never use our liberty as an excuse for going outside the basic instruction uh, of God's Word related to any subject, but in particular to the gifts of the Spirit. So that concludes this section related to all the gifts of the Spirit. And, and I appreciate, you know, there's, there's a lot in here and there's a lot of, uh, unfortunately, I mean, I, t- I talked to uh, several of you after Wednesday night service, most Wednesday nights, and, you know, I, I hear some of your stories about just, you know, how um, people have guilted you over if you don't have the gift of tongues, you're not really spirit-filled, or worse, if you don't have the gift of tongues, you're not born again. I've heard people tell me similar stories of things that happened to me, about you were sat in a chair, and you, you know, you were told to just start opening your mouth and babble things until, until you start speaking in tongues. And, you know, some of these things are just so man-made and contrived just get along with the Lord like on the day of Pentecost and just see what God wants to do by His Spirit in your life. Be open to the move of His Spirit, um, but understand the move of His Spirit in the context of Scripture. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus said, if you being evil, talking about the human race, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? So, ask. Don't be afraid. Ask. You know, Lord, I just want more of you and all of you. And ask Him to do His exceedingly wonderful, powerful work in your life. Being filled by the Spirit is not necessarily a one-time thing either. In Acts chapter 2, it says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, those in the upper room. And again in Acts chapter 4, it says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So, there is precedence in Scripture. Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Greek grammar is be being filled. That's the tense. With God's Spirit. So there is an ongoing work of God's Spirit. It's not a one and done. Uh, I forget if it it was Finney, I forget who said, or Moody maybe, that uh, he had to pray for the regular filling of the Spirit. He said, because I leak. And that is true with us. You know, we we generally leak. There's enough flesh in the world and, and the enemy that wear us down. And we just, there's this sense sometimes of the power And I'm not talking about the salvation that leaks. I'm just talking about the power and presence of God's Spirit. Sometimes you can feel like your your, your tank is low. And so pray and ask Him to fill you afresh. 
Today's message from the book of 1 Corinthians has blessed you and drawn you closer to Jesus. Pastor Gary has more to share, but this is where we need to end for today. Feel free to read ahead before you join us next time on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message again or explore other teachings from Pastor Gary Hamrick, just visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can even download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go. If you're in the Leesburg area, you're invited to join us for our weekly gatherings at Cornerstone Chapel. Come by on Sunday or Wednesday to spend time in worship, Bible study, and fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You'll be able to find service times and directions on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc or give us a call we can be reached at 703-771-1500. And when you call, please let us know how we can be praying for you. That number again is 703-771-1500. Would you pray for us too? Please pray that we keep our eyes always on the truth of who God is and that we move forward only by His power. Thanks for praying and thanks for tuning in today to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.